1: was 55 years old when he first turned up in the wwe and for a long while there a lot of people myself included are all like he's gonna be one of the biggest names that never goes to wwe and a big reason for this is because every time vince mcmahon made steve board an offer he went i know what you're gonna do with me wink wink nudge nudge if i do go there so i don't want it Surprise, surprise, he went there, we got to WrestleMania, you know what, we've talked about it here on Retro Ups and Downs, we ain't gonna talk about it again. What is really fascinating when it comes to the Stinger is that when WCW died, he was cool with retiring, then he joined TNA after getting a great offer, but every single time his contract came due, he was like, you know what, I'm fine with retiring, but because he's so damn good, and because he's such a hero, people just kept hurling money at the man, so of course he'd accept it, why the hell wouldn't he? The news did actually break a couple of days before the pay-per-view, and then Bizarrely, the next day, WWE basically confirmed it. And if you want to know why it was at the Survivor Series, this all came down to Vince McMahon or the fact that in 2014 it was the rise of the WWE network. And with this, premium live event it was basically but not really being given away for free so everyone's like we must have all hands on deck and you know who is a good hand doing it again sting and obviously this all kicked off or came together after sting was featured in wwe 2k15 and seriously we owe a lot to that video game series because for a while there they were signing up legends and somehow then throwing them back into the wwe universe and getting back to Survivor Series, Big Show also turned heel for the 47,922nd time. I don't know why I threw that in there. I just felt like it. But in front of 12,000 fans in Missouri, let's retro up those downs. For Survivor Series 2014. We had two pre-show matches at the Survivor Series 2014. The first of which was Justin Gabriel taking on a returning Fandango. And seriously, this was like Malibu, Stacy in a new hat. WWE had just gone, let's dress Fandango a little bit differently. But we also had Jack Swagger defeating Cesaro. So even eight years ago, WWE were like, man, this Swiss guy is really good. Let's make sure we beat him all the time. Cesaro even tapped out too, which kind of sums it up. And yes, this is when he, Jack Swagger and Zep Colt were doing all the whole we the people. And this is proper let it play out stuff. Well, here I am in 2022 and I'm still waiting. And speaking of things not changing... This pay-per-view, we're in 2014 now, so I'm allowed to say pay-per-view, started as if it was Raw. Because out comes Vince McMahon, out comes Triple H and Stephanie McMahon as the authority, out comes John Cena. And I had to pause my WWE Network and check the title because I was like, it's pretty much going to be Monday night. But think of that though, you have dropped $50 or subscribed to the WWE Network, whatever the hell you did back in 2014. And the first thing they gave you, if you didn't watch the pre-show, was flipping talking. and the big reason for this is because our main event had stipulations. Team authority taking on Team Cena. And if the authority lost, they were going to have to be disbanded from power and the only person that would ever be able to put them back into a position of power was none other than John Cena. And just to catch you up, Team Cena does win and then magically later on, they were back in charge. Don't even worry about it. It's just so strange though because they continue to sell the stakes here as they go. And don't you forget Team Cena. If you're defeated, all of you are going to get fired. Like, you have my money. It's already in your pocket. Would you stop promoting your event on the damn event? Poor Cena as well had to stand there all like, I will never put them back into power, not knowing the shenanigans that were going to come down the pipe. This also goes on for a really long time down our first proper match though is an absolute roller coaster, though because it is the usos versus las matadores versus the ms and damian ms Dow versus cody and dustin rhodes i don't want to say cody and dustin rhodes i of course mean gold dust and stardust and i know that we've talked about this a thousand times but cody really is very entertaining as stardust no matter what you think about that character and just to catch you up to speed here two of these guys are now in aew three of them don't even work for the company anymore, whereas The Miz and The Usos, well, they pretty much just continue to smash it. The real joy of all of this is, of course, Damien Mizdow, who spends the entire time taking fictional or fake bumps outside of the ring every time his boss, The Miz, falls down in the ring. And this is one of those things you need to show to non-wrestling fans, because they will just look at you like this. Like you just threw up on them. They cannot comprehend why anyone would find this entertaining, but that's why you should defriend them because they don't know. Unfortunately, that hatred then comes back and slaps you around the face because we all knew where this was headed. We did in hindsight anyway. We were going to get to WrestleMania. And while we would get our big payoff in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, Damian Misdale would then be eliminated within seconds by the big show. It's like WWE gave us a cake and then threw it on the floor. But you should forget about all of that because, again, this is one of the scenarios that you could only do in sports entertainment. Like, somebody would have come up with the idea and everybody surrounding said person would have gone, oh, yeah, we can do that. We can have a bunch of fun. Surprise, surprise, it's really entertaining. It's clearly over with the fans as well because when Damo does get in there, he gets a massive reaction. And at least in November 2014, the powers that be realize this because the Miz and Dow do win the tag team titles. There's also this cool tease because Dow blind tags himself in there in order to get the victory and for a few seconds Miz is looking like him by saying I'll oh, rip that beard off your face and stick it up my ass but when he realizes that he is a champion he starts to celebrate... Mostly because I suppose it nursed his ego. The fans are also playing their part because they cheer Damien Miz down and they boo the Miz. And all of this, it just should have been so simple. It was right there. So if I come and give you some dinner, you eat it. You don't throw it all over the place. You just put it in your mouth. I've made too many analogies. Point is, I'm giving it up. And then I swear, Raw was back on the pay-per-view. This thing is so weird. Cause you have Adam Rose and the bunny in the back. And I don't mean that bunny that we now know from AEW, which makes it even more confusing. But these two are playing with a bunch of toys when Titus O'Neil and Heath walk in and basically go, ha ha, you're playing with toys. Because of this though, we made a match for later tonight. And I was like, why did I buy this? I mean, I didn't, but why did I buy this? You should have the card. Why are we making fights when I've already Anywho, it was then back to the matches, and because it was 2014, WWE just looked around their women's locker room and said, we're going to take all of you and throw you into one big pot. That old stupid chestnut. I mean, it was a Survivor Series contest, so at least it makes sense. And it sees Natalia, Alicia Fox, Emma, and Naomi taking on Paige, Cameron, Layla and Summer Rae and given that Summer Rae has come up let's talk cuz she was on WWE TV recently before the Royal Rumble 2022 and described as a WWE legend meaning that some people out there Absolutely melted down. And seriously, if that was your biggest problem on that day, you should be doing backflips because you have the greatest life of all time. And also, isn't it really cool that Summer Rae was able to have a run in WWE and then return a few years later and be called a legend? It doesn't matter whether you think she's an actual legend or not. Remember the human being and just think that it's quite pleasant. Anyway, going back to the match, the reason what makes this such a quandary is when it comes to gimmicks. Because Emma's whole thing at the time was, oh, she's really uncoordinated and clumsy. In the ring, she had to be uncoordinated clumsy, and when it kind of all falls around her, well, it's just a little bit of a mess. A trailing knee also smashes Cameron right in the face, and honestly, that looks brutal, and she then gets lemonade. Thanks for the most devastating move in oh, all the sports entertainment. The surprise roll-up, and then Alicia Fox gets rid of Layla with a backbreaker. That's always the way in Survivor Series matches, all of a sudden, normal moves that would never win anything get people eliminated. Summer Ray then taps out to Emma, so I'm like, well, she's not that uncoordinated, is she? She just made somebody submit, but the whole point of the narrative here was that Paige was left all alone. Her whole booking, though, was to lose. That was it, because everybody just beats her up. They chuck her into the ring. Naomi gives her the rear view, which is one of the weirdest finishing moves ever and they win. Tyson Kidd who had come out to support his wife Natalia also lost his damn mind at the end of this as if he'd just become WWE champion. The whole thing was really, really strange down. It was then back in the 2014 tube though, because it was Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt. And as I always say, can you imagine if anybody back then had gone, well, Dean Ambrose is going to be John Moxley and Bray Wyatt is going to be fired. You would have been punched in the face and you probably would have deserved it. It is ridiculous to watch, though, because the whole time you will go, how did WWE not realize what they had with these two cats? Because there's an air of legitimacy about both of them. But more importantly, they are fresh, new superstars that should have been put on a platform and sent off into the moon. I mean, what is insane about all of this, because his whole shtick is, oh, man, you and me, Dean Ambrose, we should come together to rule the galaxy. I mean, it's basically Star Wars stuff. They go full on with this, too, because Dean Ambrose gets you're on our gate into the still steps. I was like, oh, man, that makes my back hurt. And I wasn't even involved. And then later on, when he is back on top, he goes to the top rope and he hits that flying elbow, even though Bray Wyatt isn't on the ground. And I always like that. Why the hell would you wait till they're asleep? A chair before long gets introduced. And being a longtime WWE watcher, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Although it's all because Bray is right, strike me down, strike me down, Dean, and we will become more powerful than ever. What did I tell you about flipping Star Wars? And after thinking about it for around about four seconds, Dean Ambrose just nails him. Which, of course, means it's a disqualification. And it's not like we didn't have other stuff planned for these guys. We did. And afterwards, Ambrose just goes off the rails because he waffles Bray Wyatt with his chair over and over again. He gets the table. He puts him on it. This time, he shakes it up by doing the elbow drop from there through this amount of wood. And look, otherwise, this is a super duper good match. So I am going to give it an up but you could already tell there was a ceiling here, and that was stupid. Dean then goes on to throw every single chair imaginable on top of Wyatt, get this huge ladder, and even though he climbs to the top, he gets there and goes, "I'm oh man, quite tired now, I'm not going to do anything. So once more, some of this was really, really odd, but these two together, it was just my- mud-
0: a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and best of all suited to your schedule get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash what culture today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better hel pcom slash and it was then more backstage
1: authority stuff after this Although I really liked it because Rusev was standing there the whole time and his face is just a peach. It really does feel like we're trying to recreate everything from the 2001 invasion because Stephanie's all like, oh, if you don't do what I want you to do, you won't be fired, but you wish that you would have been. And look, given that it was 2014 and the aforementioned Rusev and Luke Harper are both in this shot, I bet both of them would have preferred it if they had just been let go then so they could have gone out into the wrestling world. Smashed it. You then get this tag match that we set up earlier based on a bunch of toys. And honestly, it goes two minutes and Heath Slater gets beaten after the bunny gives him a missile dropkick. Can you imagine that backstage? Yo, Heath, you losing to a missile dropkick, you'd probably reply. So you really don't see much Mimi now, do you? It's mostly done so that we can tease a fallout between Adam Rose and the bunny just because Ads is upset that he wasn't able to get the pinfall. I watched all of this and thought to myself, I am never getting those 120 seconds back down. We then had to balance out the backstage skits because that's just how WWE works. So John Cena was now bigging up his team, but he was being really nice. And he went round and he gave every single one a kiss. No, he didn't. And then for some reason, Nikki Bella pinned AJ Lee in the grand total of 30 seconds. Now it's meant to be a big knockoff of what we did between Daniel Bryan and Sheamus back at WrestleMania because instantly Brie Bella gets on the apron. She kisses AJ Lee. She must have had some kind of poison ivy lips because AJ's like, oh, I can't handle it. What's going on? Nikki hits the rack attack. One, two, three. And we got a new divas chair. Now there's even more to this too because the story at the time was that Brie was Nikki's personal assistant. She only had two days left before she was going to be free again. So I suppose she was suffering from Stockholm syndrome. And she quite literally just turns here. Like there's no reason. There's no build. No one even bothers to explain it. A big finger may as well have come at the screen going, ha we're not going to tell you, shit. What did you expect from us? We blame you. The whole feud, too, was just all of these three people dressing up as the other person. Like, you have a recap here, and every week they're like, oh, now I'm Brie, oh, now I'm AJ Lee. And I don't want to be that guy, but don't forget that in 2014, a certain CM Punk walked out of WWE, and he's obviously married to AJ Lee, but we'll just leave that there on the shelf and we're giving it a down. As it turned out, what WWE was doing for Survivor Series 2014 was putting everything into the main event because we breezed through a lot about what we've already talked about in order to get to this last match. And it is Tim Cena featuring John Cena, Ryback, Big Show, Eric Rowan and the last minute replacement for Roman Reigns, Dolph Ziggler and keep that one in your head. And they were taking on Seth Rollins, Luke Harper, Corporate Kane, Rusev and Mark Henry. And of course, as we have talked about Luke Harper, let's just remember he was the greatest badass ever and a damn hero. But these guys get well over 40 minutes, which is why it's doubly funny that in the first few seconds, Mark Henry just goes raw and goes running into the ring. Big Show punches him with the knockout blow. He goes down, honestly. He is out there so fast. Away. It is quite good, though, because it jazzes the fans up right away. Triple H reacts like he's just been banned from every single gym on the planet. And then you do indeed get to versus Ryback. And you can't deny it. There is something there with both of these guys, which is why, of course, WWE would go out of their way to never capitalize on it. The Survivor Series tag clacks and ha, huh, I suppose, then sounds because instantly everybody is hitting their moves, but there is a purpose to it. We wanted to create a distraction in order for Seth Rollins to hit the curve stop onto Ryback and then out comes Rusev he smacks him in the face with a kick and they actually beat him and boy do we have to talk about this so I did some research to remind myself about the build and 99% of it was oh my gosh right back, feed me more put some food in his tum tum which side is he going to be on so this was really good and when I was reading it I was like oh my gosh yeah I remember all of this but then he's in and out of the match within 8 minutes so it is a complete side story it means you don't care about it at all and I understand that he's a bit of a controversial cat these days. But in 2014, like I've already said, it felt like we were going to put the rocket under his ass and send him that way. We did not, and it's a down. It still triggers everybody hitting their finishing moves on everybody else, but it's around about this time you go, man, that Dolphy Ziggles, I think he's onto something. Now he was because he was literally just going to be put in the place that Roman Reigns was going to be. But given that Roman wasn't here, I will never be able to fathom why we didn't follow up on this. This could have been one last big push for Dolph. We're not allowed nice things. On this night, it did lead to an awesome spot where Rusev is about to smash him through a table, but Dolph Ziggler gets out of the way, which means Rusev throws himself through the wood. And because back in this period of life, we were actually treating the Bulgarian brute like he was a monster, that's the reason he isn't able to get on. He does k- count it out, and it's one of those rare occasions where you go, oh my goodness, what a tremendous use of numbers. It's been back to more finishing moves, which made me laugh because I could not keep up with it. But once again, there is a point to this so we could clear the ring in order for Eric Rowan and Luke Harper to face off. And given what has happened over the last eight years, if you can watch this without cutting some onions, well, you were a stronger guy than me. You don't get much more than this because Seth Rollins then flies in to cause the interference, which allows Harper to hit the discus clothesline to get rid of Eric Rowan. And you need to remember that at this stage two, Dolphy boy had been beaten up and he was basically on the outside just going, oh, I'm been so much pain. So like I say, this is very well put together because everything ties in, apart from when you get to the big show heel turn. There hadn't even been a tease that this was going to happen. And if somebody walked in here right now and said, I tell you, man, Paul White just decided to do this in the moment. Nobody had signed it off. I would have believed it. So he just turns around, looks at John Cena and goes, oh, punches him right in the face, shakes Triple H's hand, walks off so basically gets counted out as Seth Rollins looks around and even back then was all like, cackling away. Now, even though it is super dumb, the reason I did like it is because we now constructed this scenario where you do actually start to believe, well, maybe the authority is going to win and you doubly believe it because WWE kind of does like doing that with bags. It also means that we are down to Dolph Ziggler versus three dudes. So you're going, well, how the hell is he going to get out of this? And the answer is by being awesome because he gets away from Kane who at the time was the world's greatest director of operations by hitting him with a zigzag. And then when Luke Harper comes running at him, he gets rid of him with the most devastating move in all the sports entertainment. It also sets up Dolphy versus Seth Rollins, which is never gonna be bad, which is when we really hit the shenanigans button, because here comes J.B. Noble and Joey Mercury, who of course were the bodyguards of Seth. And when that doesn't really work out, Triple H is like, you know what, fine, I'll get in there and I'm just gonna beat everybody up. I and mean, he just decks everyone, including referees that are coming out there trying to count near falls, and the whole time you'll be going, well, why isn't this a disqualification? And once again, the answer is, shut up. And there is this great moment where it does seem like Triple H has finally taken everybody out, and the authority are going to win... But there was one man who in the terms of the story wasn't even in the company, that did not want to see this. And his name, of course, as you already know, was Sting. Seriously though, this is so flipping cool as all Sting debuts are. The lights go out, you've got a cool video package, his music works. And the only thing that holds this back from being a proper legendary moment is the commentary. These guys don't let anything breathe at all. And literally every time Sting takes a step, they're like, oh my God, it's Sting, what's he doing? I mean, it would be like being a baby shower, and there's one guy in the corner being like, oh, she's having a baby. (laughs) I can't believe it. You would look at him like, just shut up. He also faces off with Triple H, and let's not remember what's going to happen in a few months. And after they circle each other for, honestly, around about eight weeks, finally, Sting does try to kick his ass. Now, I can see what they're trying to do here. They're trying to create a moment, but they really needed to listen to the fans. They just wanted to see violence, and we have to wait so damn long. But we do get the Scorpion death drop on trips, and for some reason and Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler have been completely out the whole time. But Sting grabs Ziggler. He puts him on top of Seth very handily, a referee's like, oh my gosh, I can get back to my feet now. He counts the one, two, three, which means Sting, of all people, Sting has just killed the authority. It's also a really funny bit, because of course Dolph Ziggler's music starts to play, but as Sting is going through the curtain, the camera cuts to him, meaning if you turned on the Survivor Series moment at that very point, it looks like they gave this music to Sting. Can you imagine? I give it to the world, I'd love it. I mean, it is just mad that after this, we didn't give Ziggler a massive push but we've already talked about it and we're not going to talk about it again. And while you could have easily have cut 10 minutes off this match, it is very good. It is very entertaining and it's getting it up. I will say I'm not massively keen that Survivor Series then ends with Triple H and Stephanie McMahon getting into the ring so all the fans can go, I mean, that is a Raw skit. We should have just done it on Raw and we still did it anyway. But as we already figured out, this was just raw in disguise. That's all it was. Thank Flubbins for the debut Sting. And before I do leave you, here is a second opinion, courtesy of Dave Meltzer and the star ratings he gave it. The opening tag match got two and three quarter stars. The women's Survivor series match got one star. Bray versus Dean got three and a quarter stars. That Adam Rose mess got a quarter of a star. Nikki versus AJ is a dud. I mean, how could you give it any rating? It went 30 seconds. And the main event got a kind of impressive four stars. Overall, I'm also going to give it an up, but I would tell you this, it is solely based on the fact that Sting debuted. The rest of this is absolutely nothing and probably sums up that why in 2022, this pay-per-view, now premium live event, isn't as exciting as it once was. Hold
0: up.